Welcome back to the Booker Life Group podcast. We meet Sunday mornings at 11 at Bellevue Baptist Church in Memphis, Tennessee. This is the third message in a series we've been doing on 1 John. Last week, we heard from John Green talking about 1 John chapter 2. Today, we'll hear from Richard Booker as we dive deep into chapter 3. So if we were to look in, here in 1 John chapter 1 and chapter 2, uh, just as a kind of a, a follow back, there's, there's one main purpose for this book. And you'd have to go to John chapter 5. We haven't gotten there yet, but John is really uh, sharp in, in the gospel of John as well in this one to say, this is why I've written this book. In John chapter 5, uh, verse 13, he says, I've written that you may believe in the name of the Son of God and so that you may know that you have eternal life. So when, we, when you uh, read this text... If you, if you were to compare it to what he says in, in John, in John he says, I've written this so that you might have eternal life. Because if you, if you read the Gospel of John and you say, uh, this is all I need to know, you know, to have faith in Jesus Christ, is that I can have eternal life. And then you have these people that go, I don't know that I'm saved. You can look at, in 1 John, you can say that what's written here, if you understand this, you can know that you have eternal life. And I think that uh, we struggle, especially in today's society. You have so many people that, you know, they get older and they go, I don't, I don't know if I was truly saved when I was a kid. I remember walking down an aisle. But you can walk through this text and go, is this the way you live your life? And if it is, you can know that you're saved. So here in 1 John chapter 1, just as a reminder, uh, John talks about the manifestation of the Word through Jesus Christ. And that Jesus Christ came that we might have fellowship or koinonia with him. And uh, that we might have joy. Those are the two pur- first two purposes uh, of, the, of 1 John. Uh, are right here found in John chapter 1. This is fellowship and joy. And then in John, 1 John chapter 2, uh, there are two more purposes. He says that we may not sin nor be deceived. Okay, and I want to look at... Uh, that we may not sin is where the entire chapter 3 lies. Is so that we might not sin. And there's a couple of, of verses in here that I'm not going to read just yet that if you read it, you'll, you would go, that's tough to digest. So we can't start there. You have to look at all of Scripture within the meta, what's called the meta-narrative of Scripture of what's the beginning, what's the end, what happened in the chapter before? What, chap- what happened in the Old Testament? And so that's where I want to start. There are a lot of passages here uh, for us to take a look at. And uh, just for the sake, since we're a smaller class, instead of breaking into, into groups, if we were a much larger class, I'd break us into groups and then we'd talk about it and then you'd come and give us just a, a, um, you know, a synopsis of what these verses said. But because we're a smaller group, I'd like for us to do this together. Uh, so Genesis 1, let's start here at the beginning in Genesis 1, 26 through 31. And what I want to uh, gather from this is I would like a, maybe a single sentence or a couple of phrases uh, of what does this passage have to say about sin and humanity? Now, uh, when I th- started thinking about this, I went, now what can I name this? And uh, so I went natural selection, uh, or uh, more, more Charles Darwin for you, would be the descent of man. That would be, you know, because man was made very good and then 
we sin and you have the descent of man. Uh, but none of that really works too well. What we're actually going to be looking at today is man's, man's nature. Where is man's nature? Uh, is it in sin? Is it not in sin? Where is that? Um, and so when we look at, in, in context of what the pastor preached about this morning, which was a fantastic message about overcoming obstacles, I, I, began, I began writing notes. I was like, this is fantastic stuff. The greatest obstacle to eternal life is sin. That is the greatest obstacle to eternal life. And so how do we overcome that sin to, to be able to, to, one, from what we find in the Gospel of John, to have eternal life, and then in, the, in 1 John, to know that we have eternal life. How do we overcome that sin? So as we look at this pa- these passages, I want to know, how, what is the relationship of man to sin? Okay, so Genesis chapter 1. Uh, Nathan, would you read that one? <clears throat> then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it, reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. Then God said, Look, I have given you every seed-bearing plant throughout the earth and all the fruit trees for your food. I have given every green plant as food for all the wild animals the birds in the sky, and the small animals that scurry on the ground, everything that has life, and that is what happened. Then God looked over all he had made, and he saw that it was very good, and the evening passed, and morning came, making the sixth day. Okay, so in relationship to man and sin, what do we see here in Genesis chapter 1? How is... That's okay. Well, we must have brought it on ourselves because he made us originally in his image. Okay, so what does that mean? In the sense of, of, of sinfulness, if he made us in his image, what does that mean? Without sin. Okay. Yeah. So in Genesis chapter 1... And it's a very interesting context here. If you read all the different days that he created things, days one through five, he called the day good. But finally here in day six, he calls the creation what? Very good, because he created man. And in that sense, he created man very good. He made him in his image. God cannot sin. God is nothing like sin. And he created man in his image. He created man sinless at this point. Okay, so how do we... What do, what do we want to write as just a kind of a phrase to say this is, this is where man is, man, the nature of man at this point? Okay, so... Do we want to say anything else? So man is um, what? Okay. So it's kind of the same way that we were made in God's image. Like God has dominion over everything, and He gave us a little bit of that dominion over the earth. 
and given dominion. Okay? Anything, do we want to say anything else? So, so man at this point, man's nature is fully in God. Because at this point, Christ hasn't been, he's been introduced to us, but he hasn't really been introduced to us. Because he, uh, in, he's made in our image, you know, we, so in this, at this point, we don't know, if we weren't to read anything else, we wouldn't know who our is or who us is. So made in the image of God at this point. So completely sinless. So if we were to turn to Genesis chapter 3, and actually for the sake of time, we're actually not going to read all of uh, uh, Genesis chapter 3. But if you'll turn there, uh, just so you might want to make a note for yourself. Uh, anybody got bold letters at the beginning of their chapter? And what do they say? The fall of man. So what happens in this chapter? Anybody know? They start sinning. So... God made man in his image, so completely sinless, but he gave him the opportunity to make decisions. He gave him what we call free will. Uh, that terminology is not in scripture, but that's what we would consider it would be free will. So man made a choice. After being made completely sinless, man made a choice to sin. So how do we want to, how do we mark that? How do we, I think I would just call it, you know, the same title they give it. Let's, let's just call, let's say, this is where we have the fall of man. So, sin enters. I Okay. By man's choice. Okay, so at this point, uh, I'm, I'm going to mention something here in Psalms that talks about man's nature. And then we're going to move to the New Testament about how we talk, which is where we find the vast majority of the doctrine of, of man's nature is in the New Testament. Most of these, of course, are written by Paul. So Paul was a very, uh, a very strong theologian and understood uh, what it meant to have a life separated from God in sin as well as what it meant to have a life in Christ. And so here, let's turn to Psalm 51, 1 through 5. So here in Psalm 51, 1 through 5, this psalm was written after uh, David had sinned with Bathsheba and also uh, had her husband killed. So, uh, Kendall, would you mind reading uh, those verses? Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness. According to the greatness of your compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity. And in sin, my mother conceived me. Okay, when it comes specifically to man's nature, when it comes to sin, I'd like to point out verse 5. So, just face value, it's, it's a sort of difficult verse to understand, but if you, if you really begin to think about it, there's specific uh, uh, application of that passage to man's nature and sinfulness. So, how, what does that verse mean? 
Yeah, so uh, David recognized that sin was a part of man's nature, that we were born with a propensity to sin. All right, so born with sinful nature. All right, so, and I think the, uh, the difference here is you have, you have two different aspects. You have man and woman were not born. They were what? They were made or created in God's image. So God made them. There was no sin in him, so therefore the creation that he made was sinless. And here, when you're talking about, a, you know, they fell, which brought sin, you know, that, that was called sin, came into the world, you have two sinful beings creating, you know, we'll call it creating, creating or replicating, they were, children are born with a sinful nature, and you know that right from the beginning, that children have a sinful nature. But yet, the interesting thing there is, is that even though we are born with a sinful nature, when you uh, are a believer in Christ, and you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, David in Acts 13.22, so it, Acts 13.22 is a repeat of what was found in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, they, it's still quoted that David was a man after God's own heart. That even if you have a sinful nature, you can still be called somebody after God's own heart. Okay, so let's, let's, let's keep moving. So Romans 5, 12-19. You got it? Let me get there. <laughs> All right, go ahead. Um, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sin, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given. But sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass, for if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God, and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin, for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in the life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Okay. ESV is really good for one for that passage. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so what does Romans 5, 12 through 19 say about sin? We're all affected by it. Okay, so we're all affected by it. It's contagious. <laughs> okay. So there's an antidote. Does it say where it came from? 
question. So the, an, so the, there's an, the antidote is, is Jesus. Does it say where sin came from? Okay, so sin... It's important to note. I just remember this passage when we get to 1 John chapter 3. Is there anything else about sin that we want to make mention of here? Okay. So if we were to read at the beginning, Romans is a very strong theological book. If we read it at the beginning of, of, of Romans, it mentions that, that uh, regardless of whether or not there is no law, in Romans uh, 1, 19 and 20, it talks about how you're still held accountable, that just because of creation, you're held accountable. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it talks about that the law was given, the L-A-W, the law was given so that we might know that we have sinned. And I think an interesting, uh, Charles Spurgeon, um, in, a, in a sermon, made mention, he said, if you lower the law, you dim the light by which man perceives his own guilt. That's a powerful statement that I've, and, and, and quote, that I've remembered for years. That if we take, that this law here shows you exactly, you don't have to wonder. God gave us a law that says, if you break this, you know exactly where you have broken the law. But if you begin to lower that law, men perceive their guilt in a different in a different manner. Which is very prophetic because in twenty sixteen that's sort of what we live with every oh, man. day. Every day. That's that's the goal, the lower your guilt, right? Yep. And you've seen you can you can take it back to just uh, the 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 forties, fifties and sixties when it comes to divorce. I mean how right. we no, of course none of us were around, but uh, you know, if you see movies about it you go, I mean, just the stigma of, of divorce. Ooh, you got a divorce. But now, in the 90s, you could, you could get a divorce, no-fault divorce, you know, no, you know, irreconcilable differences. We're just going to get a divorce. And so now, it's nothing. I heard somebody the other day say, yeah, that's why me and my ex were splitting. We just had nothing in common anymore. And I was just like, it was just so flippant. Like, it was like, I had coffee yesterday. You know, it was just a statement. It was yeah. so crazy. All right, so, so the law is important. I think that that's an important thing, that, that sin is the opposite of the law. And I think we have to recognize when we say that that we're talking about a capital L-A-W law, um, not just speed law. Well, even though if you're breaking that, you're still... You're still... <laughs> All right, so let's, let's move to Romans 6, uh, 1 through 11. <laughs> you're next in line. All right. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who, lives, who died to sin still live in it? Uh, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like this, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. 
We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would uh, no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once and for all, but for the life he lives, he lives to God. So you must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Mm-hmm. All right, so what do we see about sin and what do we see about man? All right, so what happens to... what? Huh? We... we so... Okay, so what happens after uh, we die, after we die to sin? What happens to us? Raised to walk in newness of life. Yeah, that's actually where this pa- that's actually where all that came from. When you're talking about baptism, that's where it comes from. <laughs> yeah. So there, there's a uh, of course in my in mine uh, the word is italicized, but it's, there's there's a word in there starts with an L. Who do we become? Likeness, yeah, yeah. So, so who do we become like? All right, so we, we now become like Christ. So this is kind of like getting our image back. Hmm. In some sense. <laughs> All right, so I heard uh, new self. Anything else we want to mention? There's freedom. Okay, so we we gain freedom. Anything else we want to draw? We share it in his death, but we also share his power over sin. We conquered sin. Through Christ. Yeah. And share in what? We see dominion again, like in Genesis. Share in dominion. I just, it's just power over sin, but we talked about power. Conquered sin through his, through his. Okay. There we go. Share in power. I like that one. Okay. Uh, for the sake of time, let's keep moving. Ephesians 4, and these are fairly similar to one another, uh, but once again, it's Paul talking, so he's just talking to different people. So we're going to get different aspects of, of this relationship. So Ephesians 4, 22 through 24. That in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside your whole self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit, and that you be renewed in, in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God had been created in the righteousness and holiness of truth. That's good. All right, so what do we want to say about man here? I mean, it's basically dying to yourself and putting on the likeness of God, which has been created in righteousness, holiness, and truth. This one makes it sound very personal, like it's an action that you're you're doing. Okay, so personal action. Mm, I like that one. I'm going to underline that one. (laughs) 
Anything else? This is just a couple of verses, so that may be all we want to write. Do we want to add anything else? We're good. Okay, so let's go to Colossians 3, 9 through 10. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which has been renewed in knowledge and the image of its creator. Okay. What do we want to say? That's interesting. I was going to ask that question. In here, of course, in, in New Amer- I have New American Standard, so it says lie. Mm-hmm. It says, do not lie to one another since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices. Mm-hmm. What, does that, what does that mean? You're not speaking your language. I mean, yeah. That means you are, you are a new self. But if you act like, if you continue to act evil and my... You know, if you act sinful, and you see this all throughout the New Testament, that sin is equivalent with evil, sin is equivalent with the devil, uh, that you are lying. Yeah. Hmm. So in the last verse, it mentioned truth for the first time. Like it talked about that, that it was done in truth, and this time we see the lying aspects. So yeah. Yeah. Okay. So let's let's keep going. First, First Corinthians. Which means we've got to step back. I'm going to turn to the left. Just a swipe, huh? <laughs> 15, 45 through 49. So also it is written, The first man, Adam, became a living soul. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, then the spiritual. The first man is from the earth, earthly. The second man is from heaven. As is the earthly, so also are those who are earthly. Okay, so what does that have to say? All right, first of all, when he talks about the first Adam, who are they talking about? Adam Adam in Genesis chapter uh, 2 and 3. When they're talking about the last Adam, who are they talking about? Jesus. Okay, so uh, what do we know about the first Adam? What does it tell us about him? Natural. Can't spell. Natural. Whole nature. Okay. Anything else we want to say about the first Adam? Well, he lost something. I heard from Eric Brand, who's I've listened to one lesson, lesson of his in my whole life, but it's somehow I'll never forget where he talked about how Adam lost something and Jesus restored it. So like when Jesus was resurrected, it says that he was clothed in righteousness. Like what was he wearing? He left his clothes in the tomb, sort of thing. But that he the same thing that Adam had, 
in Genesis that where they were naked and they were not ashamed, that it was the righteousness that he lost was, and he was then shameful. And then Jesus came, and as he was resurrected, he then had restored what Adam had lost, which was that righteousness. Ah, lost righteousness. So I'm going to put this here. Uh, restored. Or gives. All right, so what do, we, what do we notice about the second Adam besides this part? The first Adam represents natural, sinful nature. What does the second Adam represent? Well, it says heaven, the heavenly, heavenly or spiritual nature. So. I like that it says became life-giving because death comes from sin. And so the first Adam... Ah. Gave birth to sin. Death giving. Death giving. And then life giving. Ah. Life giving. Ah. Apparently we're getting somewhere. Ah. <laughs> All, right. All right. Let's keep moving. Second Corinthians five, sixteen through seventeen. So just a small turn to the right. A little bit more. Oh, sorry. Um, the old has passed away, the whole the new has come. Mm-hmm. All right. So now what? What about man now? He's a new creation. So when does he become a new creation? When he Okay, so in Christ becomes... creation. And the interesting thing here is this new, this term new, is kainos. This new here is the same new that's used in Revelation when, uh, when Christ creates the new kainos, the new heavens and the new earth, where the old is wiped away, and old is completely destroyed, and a brand new out of things that are completely new is created. And, and where you make the new heavens and the new earth. So here, when he talks about this new Kanos creation, he takes your completely old self, he wipes it away, and creates something completely new. Okay? Is there anything else we want to say about this one? I think that's probably, that probably satisfies that. All right, so we're going we're gonna to hang on to this Romans 7 for a minute because I want us to go to 1 John chapter 3 because what I just said here, we're going to go, I'm going to to think about that some more once we read 1 John chapter 3. All right, so let's move to 1 John chapter 3 and I'll read this one and we'll actually read the whole thing and then we're kinda, we'll go back and we'll kind of talk about some of it. Uh, but remember here, and we talked this last week, uh, how he addresses his readers Uh, He calls them here uh, in verse 1, children of God. And just remember, if you read all throughout the New Testament, uh, Paul also refers to people as children of God. And that's just a reference to believers because they are now a descendant, no longer just a descendant of the first Adam, they're a descendant of the second Adam. They are a child of God. So here in 1 John chapter 3, See how great a love the Father has bestowed upon us, or lavished upon us, that we would be called children of God. And such we are. For this reason, the world does not know us, because it did not know Him. 
Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what will be. We will be. We know that when He appears, we will be like Him, because we will see Him just as He is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on Him purifies Himself just as He is pure. Everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. You know that He appeared in order to take away sins, and in Him there is no sin. No one who abides in Him sins. No one who sins has seen Him or knows Him. Little children, make sure no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous, just as He is righteous. The one who practices sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. No one who is born of God practices sin, because his seed abides in him, and he cannot sin, because he is born of God. By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does does not love his brother. For this is the message which you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain, who was the evil one and slew his brother. And for what reason did he slay him? Because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, brethren, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and truth. We will know by this that we are of the truth and will assure our hearts before him. In whatever our heart condemns us, for God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do the things that are pleasing in his sight. This is his commandment that we believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded us. The one who keeps his commandments abides in him, and he in him. We know by this that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. So that's a lot to kind of take in. So I don't know if we need a second to just kind of digest that or maybe you kind of look over it. But I'm going to ask a couple of questions. What do you notice about sin in this chapter? What, is it, what does it say about it? It's, and I understand it's a long passage, and I didn't ask that question before we started. So, um, it says that it's lawlessness and that it's a, it's a, a practice, like it's a lifestyle. Okay. Um, it's not just, we don't necessarily think of it as just one act. It can be our entire lifestyle and how we practice living life. Okay. It's of the devil. Look at verse 9. What does, this, what does that say about sin? No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. Okay. 
so it has to be separated from God. I mean, God cannot be with sin. So if God's seed abides in Him, He cannot keep on sinning. Yeah. The two can't be together. Yes. Yeah. Later, it also says He cannot sin because He is born of God. I think that's a tough one to digest. It says, I mean, John says, you cannot sin because you are born of God. I mean, who says that? My uh, version, it, whenever you would say cannot sin, mine kept saying cannot practice sin or cannot keep on sinning. Yeah, and w- which version? That's ESV? Yeah, and that's some of the things that I ran across that uh, when they add those in there, that's actually not in the original text. Mm-hmm. And uh, though that is... Uh, true that's not what that verse says so we have to look at this um does this really mean does this passage really mean that believers no longer sin of course not of course not i hope not no of course of course of of course it doesn't all right so this is where what what this passage is saying it's saying that if you are born of god you are going to do that sin that's in your life, you're going to go, ah, I can't hate it. I, 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 can't, I can't like it. I hate it. i got to get it out of there. It, it can't be a part of me. It's, against, it's, it's now against who you are. And if, and if you are sinning, and there's never a moment that you go, that's wrong, are you saved? I mean, that's, that's the kind of question that John is asking here. Brother Steve always talks about the battle, like... Absolutely. So let's, let's go back here to Romans 7. This is Paul, the same person that said, the same person that said all this, that we have to die to sin. We become a new self. It ha- it's a personal action upon myself, but it's, it's Christ who destroyed the sin within me. Uh, and I'm lying if I, if, I, you know, if, I, if I am sinning and that I've accepted Christ who is life-giving. I've become a new creation. And then here in Romans chapter 7, let me get there. I don't want to be left behind. Romans chapter 7. No, I don't want to be left behind. All right, so what does Romans 7, 14 through 25, say about these two natures? The one that was given to us by Adam and the one that was given to us by Christ. So the trouble is not with the law, for it is spiritual and good. The trouble is with me, for I am all too human, a slave to sin. I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But if I know that what I am doing is wrong, this shows that I agree that the law is good. So I am not the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. And I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I am not really the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. I have discovered this principle of life, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. So you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. Yeah. So he is, Paul is a believer in Christ, and he knows that, but there's still a battle that goes on. So there is a war within, between the two natures. All right, and this is where 
I mean, we, we recognize if we were to go to places like Ephesians chapter 6, when he talks about a war, that this is a war with, between the principality of darkness, a spiritual war that's going on within us. And if there is no war within you, that's when you have to question <laughs> whether or not are you saved. Now, if you also read this, uh, when he says that he sins, does he say that it's his, he himself that's you know, do, doing the evil? What does he say? It's the sin within him. Why? Because he is a new creation. So what has happened is, is that you had you can't have two natures at once. You had you had an old nature. Yeah. Yeah, somewhere in Romans five twelve. Where am I? Yeah. Wait. Wait. Anyway, <laughs> my brain. There's too much up there. All right. So we 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 had an old self. We die to that. We become new. There's still a war because that old self was there, but it's been covered up by the blood of Jesus Christ, and it keeps trying to rear its head. And if we look in, if we go back to 1 John chapter 3, I'm doing what? Yes, I am. 1 John chapter 3, if you go back to verse 9, he says, no one who is born of God practices sin because of what? What's inside of him? God's light. It's the holy, when he talks about his seed or God's light, that's the Holy Spirit. And then when we go down to the end of the, chapter, uh, of the chapter, he says, we know by this that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. So last week we, I made mention of that Jesus Christ, when he left in John uh, right before he left, in John uh, 14, he told the disciples, he said, it's better for you to leave, or better for me to leave, because something better will come behind me than it is for me to stay with you. And I asked the question, would, if we had the choice, would we rather have Jesus sitting beside us or would we rather have the Holy Spirit within us? I think we might think the Holy Spirit, but the vast majority of the time we'd say, I want Jesus right next to me. He'd be, he'd be better off and holding me accountable. But the Holy Spirit is omnipresent. He can be everywhere all the time, just like the Father can. Jesus couldn't. <laughs> he was fully God, but there was an aspect of the God and the Holy Spirit that he didn't have. He was limited by that physical body. And so we have the Holy Spirit living within us. And sin and the Holy Spirit can't be in the same place at the same time. When you sin, you're telling Holy Spirit, stay over there for a little bit. They can't inhabit the same place. So the Holy Spirit is within us. And so when, it ta- when we think about sin, if you look all throughout the New Testament, we, and this is where we have, uh, I, I, I kind of war with this, uh, uh, this thought process of what do, we, what do we do with sin? In the Old Testament, like this morning, we talk about, um, you know, overcoming obstacles. And it was also related to uh, overcoming the Goliaths in your life, you know, and the David went out there and, you know, uh, defeated Goliath. And I've actually taught that in the past, too, that if you, you defeat the Goliath sin in your life, all these other things go away. But Goliath, as well as the walls of Jericho, were, a physical, were physical things. They weren't these uh, spiritual things. And here in the, New, in the New Testament, you don't see a conquering of sin in the sense of God saying, you 
Jamie, you need, you need to go to battle and you need to conquer that sin. You don't see that in the New Testament. What you see are two things. If we go into James, he talks about resisting the devil. And you also see all throughout the New Testament, at least six or seven times in reference to sin, flee it. There's never really a case of fighting it. But there's always a sense of fleeing it. Because on our own power, we begin to think that if, we, if we're going to take up arms... Uh, like we, like if you think of Ephesians chapter six with the, uh, the the spiritual armor that you put it on, he never actually says fight with those things. The only and the only thing that he gives you as a as a weapon of the sword is, is truth, which is the word of God that we're going to resist by uh, knowing God's word. We're not going to actually attack it. We're gonna we're gonna resist it. We're gonna run away because under our own power we we can't do anything. It's the Holy Spirit within us that defeats sin. Which is why he says, get away from it. If you know something is, tempts you, get away from it. Because we, on our own, we, we tend to try to take over the Holy Spirit in our life if we say, I know that I can beat that temptation. I know that I can do it. And we well, we see that in the Old Testament. Every time they did this battle in the walls of Jericho, it wasn't because of the people conquering it. They had to do something really asinine, walk around the walls seven times, and God brought the walls down. So it was still by, not by their own power. And I, Donna Gaines said something recently over and over again that said the Old Testament, we see physical realities that relate to our spiritual truths in the New Testament. So we saw a physical representation of the fact that the walls of Jericho were not going to come down by the people. God had to do it, and they were just there obeying yeah. um, in the meantime. He wanted to see their faithfulness. He that's wanted right. to see how they would respond. And that's why he said... Mm-hmm. Now, if you look at the numbers, I mean, certain yeah, numbers, yeah. you know, walk around one time today and the last day walk around seven, you know, seven and times the and, and then blow the trumpet. There, there was a lot of uh, 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 spiritual realities and symbolism in, in that. But at the same time, God asks us to do things that will strengthen our faith. And when it comes to uh, reflecting the image of God, we must abide in Christ and Christ in return will abide within us. And I was telling my wife this week, I, was, I went, I never recognized until I began looking this up that the term abide, the, the root word is abode. I didn't realize that. Even though they're so close, I think I would have thought if I thought about it. You know? <laughs> but I had to look it up. And I was like, oh, so abode. So if you look at abiding, you know, if we abide in Christ... And we live in Christ. That means that we spend as much time, and we spend a lot of time at home. Now, I spend a lot of time at work, too. But if we, we would spend a lot of time at home. We rest there. That's our security. That's our, that's, most of the time, that's where we eat. That's where we get sustenance. You know? That's where we find protection. And John chapter 15 is all about abiding in Christ because he is the life-giving vine that provides life-giving nutrients and water to the rest of his plant. That if we choose, and I think that's interesting. He says that if, if you abide in him, he says that first. He says if you abide in him, you make the choice to abide in him, that he in return, the Holy Spirit, will come live within you. And so... Uh, the pastor made, made a very interesting thing. He said you, this morning, and I wrote this down, I was like, that's, that's awesome. He said, you had man's impotence 
was overcome by God's omnipotence. Mm -hmm. And without the Holy Spirit, we could never overcome sin. Without the Holy Spirit, and without the second Adam, this is where we would continue to be. So we have to recognize that we we have to recognize that we need to put on a new self. We have to recognize that we need Jesus Christ. And we have to recognize that we need the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, the only choice, the only, the only uh, place we have to go is, is, is death. Add something. Go. All right, we're right at 12, so it's all on you. are talking about the armor of God. Uh-huh. And I think there's a reason why our helmet is the, is the helmet of salvation, right? You think about the old-fashioned helmets that or I was thinking about from medieval times. It was the only thing that's really exposed. It's their eyes. And I feel like the Lord invites us to think like our new self, to make sure that there's a reason why salvation is on your head is because that's where your thoughts and the way you see and interpret the world around you is through your helmet. And so... Um, make sure that we are putting on our helmet of salvation every day to make sure that we are seeing the world and interacting and thinking about our obstacles and thinking about the sin in our lives with our new self and not with the thoughts and the perspective of the world and our old self. That's all I have. <laughs> Anybody else want to add anything? Cool. I love that like the same... You know, you wrote that sin enters by man's choice. And then when we got to Ephesians and we said it was a personal action, like just as sin entered through Adam's choice, it's our choice now to accept the new self. So it's Good like job. I love the symmetry between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And we see them. It's like there's no way that that many authors and that span of time that it was written, that it could have lined up in the way that it does in such an incredible way without it being divinely written. Like it's just incredible. Authors were in the book. I mean, authors are represented. Oh gosh, I have that written down somewhere. I know. I feel like I just heard it, but I can't remember. All right, I'll I'll close this. Father God, thank you uh, for this morning that we got an opportunity to uh, take a journey uh, through Scripture about what it means to. become a new person. God, I pray that each person in here uh, will just embrace that. Father, that if uh, there is an unbeliever in here, Father, that you would uh, give them new life. God, I pray that you would um, just allow us to also be able to raise our children with the understanding that uh, it is Jesus that gives eternal life. Father, may we live it out. May it come out of our mouths. And may it be in the way that we live. Father, keep us safe. Make us equipped for the week. And Father, I pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Booker Life Group podcast. I hope you enjoyed that deep dive into chapter three from Richard Booker. Next week, Bellevue Baptist Church is having a marriage rally on Sunday morning, so we will not meet. 
but we will see you the week after that.